Hello and welcome to The Scan. We're excited to bring you this episode from the George Institute for Global Health. In this episode of The Scan, researchers Ming and Viola share their experiences of life as clinicians, researchers and mothers. They discuss the challenges of juggling different roles within their lives, as well as the joys of each and strategies for managing all three. So I guess we decided, we had a chat initially and decided to do this because I listen to podcasts, but I haven't come across one like this. And I know that this is probably quite niche, right? I mean, there aren't going to be that many people who are, you know, clinicians, researchers and parents, but I always find in talking to you, Ming, that it's really um, I don't know, interesting to touch base with you and to share our kind of experiences and not struggles, but, you know, challenges along the way. So thank you. Thank you for agreeing to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Viola. Great to be on this journey with you. And it's nice to have each other's support. Yeah, that's what I really appreciate whenever we bump into each other and we have a chat and we have time when we do have time to have a coffee to kind of share our experiences and I suppose we do have similar things that we're going through at the moment but you all are kind of ahead in the journey in terms of you finished your PhD, you finished your um, fellowship which is amazing and I'm a few steps behind in I guess my PhD is due in December and a few years yet from even thinking about fellowship, actually. How have you found, I suppose, the last year in completing your fellowship? <laughs> Thanks, Fiona. I think it's it's been a tricky last few years, as we all know, for many different reasons. I guess in terms of the pandemic, there's been those responsibilities, I think, for you as an ED doctor, for me as public health registrar in the last few years, and then trying to you know keep our research going either your PhD projects or different projects that I've, I've been involved in. So I think the last year um, I tried to juggle um, my research projects supervising PhD students, but also the work at the New South Wales Ministry of Health, trying to look at serious adverse events following COVID vaccination, trying to support that work, and also trying to study for my exams. So for my public health uh, physician exams that were in November last year, I think it's been a mix of trying to juggle your time, trying to look after yourself, but also trying to look after your family because, as we know, when we're tired and we're cranky, um, <laughs> the family <laughs> takes that burden. So it's been challenging, but I'm glad I passed uh, last November. And so I think the last few months has really been trying to consolidate what's my next steps and trying to forge my path forward. Um, but thanks for asking, Viola. It's always nice to meet you and have that encouragement. Yeah, I mean, getting through your fellowship is such a huge accomplishment right like I mean to have gotten through those exams also you know at the back end of COVID is a huge accomplishment I was thinking about the fact that we actually you and I have a lot in common not only you know we're both I guess born overseas we came to Australia at, at different ages we came to medicine as a second career we both did different things before medicine we don't we both have masters in international public health <laughs> Um, we both, I suppose, are doing a PhD whilst we already had children and and clinical work as well with children. So even though in some respects the research that you do is different to the research that I'm doing in looking at models of ED care and 
my ED training is very different to public health training, but in many ways, we've had a very similar journey. What do you think for you have been some of the kind of advantages or disadvantages in taking an unconventional career in medicine? Because I think we both have had a very unconventional career. You know, we haven't started on a training program and just follow through. Like we've kind of done the research whilst we've been doing the clinical training. And in my mind, there are definitely pros, but there are many cons as well. Um, I think the pros would probably be something I was taught at the PhD kind of induction meetings, that take the chance to drive your own path that you are in that driver's seat. So even if you're PhD, you're driving that research question and where you want to go, what you want to learn. And I think in general for this career path that we're trying to forge and, and develop, that we have that autonomy and that, that that's really empowering. You know, I think a lot we spend so much time working, right? <laughs> so you want yeah. to do work that you're passionate about, that you love. And yeah. I think there's that flexibility to be able to do so. So I think that's the pros. Well, of course, the disadvantage of that is often the structures aren't set up or this, you know, contextually this the structures are still trying to be set up. So like the, the NHMRC in terms of investigator grants and you know getting that funding of course. And then socially, as you know, childcare and getting all of that set up so that you you are supported enough so that that's my those are some of my reflections in terms of that disadvantage but you know Viol, I think for you public health is and research and sometimes a bit more aligned but I actually think ED clinical medicine seeing the patient on the ground and nights are uh, those are quite different you know I ha- at least I don't have to work nights like you just did <laughs> so what are your thoughts what how has your last year been well, COVID was, was really hard, to be honest, and I had to take two years out of the PhD. So it, a four-year PhD has turned into a six-year PhD with a two-year gap in the middle. I think, yeah, nights are a challenge. I definitely feel that, especially in this last year of the PhD, I'm working more than I would want to. I'm working three days in the ED and then have my three PhD days, which means that I end up working six days a week. And it's tricky, but I do it because I love it. Like like you said, I can't imagine being in a job that I don't love and that doesn't bring me satisfaction and a sense of fulfillment. And I definitely get that from the ED in terms of I love the patient interactions and coming across in contact with people who I don't, would never meet in any other um, aspect of my life and kind of deriving meaning from what I think is really valuable work that's, you know, needed. For me, the research and the clinical work is very much a yin and yang. I I realized very early on that I couldn't work in the health system full-time, even though I really love the the work. The hospital culture, you know, affects me in a negative way. I just know that I can't work in that system full-time. So for me, having that research alongside the clinical work is just my perfect balance. But the downside of that is that it it will take me a long time to finish my training. It will take me a lot longer to get there, but you know, for me, I very much feel like, you know, the tortoise and not the hare. That's kind of the way that I um, view my career. But every now and again, when the ego kind of steps in, I think, oh God, you know, I'm this age and I'm still not where I should be. But then when I kind of rationalize and I think, well, what does that mean? And if I did hurry my training along, I wouldn't enjoy the journey. I'd miss out on time with my kids. I'd miss out on all the things that bring me joy. And for me, at the end of the, the day, this is probably the my happy place. <laughs> That's lovely. Thanks, Viola. And I, 
I I resonate with that, and I I found that in the last two years as well, having that mix of kind of service delivery and research was a nice way to regroup, I guess. But I've I've spoken to social workers working the hardest families, and you know, getting having that uh, research time also allows them as exactly what you said. They couldn't do a full time social work clinical load, but having yeah. one to two days to actually do some of their research that informs their practice was really helpful. Yeah, I think burnout is so real, especially like in the clinical context, especially, you know, where you're at the front line. Like it's, uh, I certainly felt burnout like about a year ago after I did a rotation where I was just working crazy hours. I had no choice. And uh, I had luckily organized a non-clinical term after that that one, because usually the the lead time is really long, right? Your rotations, you plan a year ahead. But I was just lucky and then I had this non-clinical term lined up after this really hard clinical term where I was working like 80 hour weeks on and off. I feel that in that particular situation, it highlighted for me that I I can't do full-time work and that I'm really, really grateful for having the combination of both the clinical and the research. But I guess doing clinical and research still means that we're really busy, right, in terms of fitting in all the kids' activities (laughs) and juggling everything else with family. And there is no such thing as balance, right? (laughs) And the other thing we have in common, which I think complicates things, is we both have medical partners. (laughs) And so there's also, I guess, the juggle of working around their careers and their rosters on top of like everything else right Um, which is kind of great because you can debrief to your partner who gets it but then the downside is I don't know whether you guys do this but sometimes maybe we talk shop a bit too much as well yeah sorry I'm just laughing because I think an hour before this the school called me and said my son had vomited on the bus and can I come and get him and like I'm gonna have to cancel Viola Marenke but I just thought I'll call my husband just in case and he's like yeah I got the call as well actually that a registrar can cover my next case I'll go get him and I'll bring him home but I think he's probably just you know um a bit car sick or something and and I'll probably head back to hospital can you come back after that I'm like yeah yeah I can I can make it by midday so it's exactly what you're saying what you're just trying to juggle and it's good that you know on his end he had clinical support to cover his case so yeah, absolutely. We we know that juggle well. I literally have like a spreadsheet <laughs> on the fridge of like who's doing what when each day of the week, each afternoon. And if, yeah, my mother-in-law helps us on a Monday night or Monday after school. And if um, she's away at the moment, you know, I have weeks ahead, I have to go, you know, kind of fill gaps and talk to after school care and, and get things organized. So, level of organization is like you have to be (laughs) 10 out of 10 for you know project managing life and people and yeah yeah no that's right and I took this chance you know so mother-in-law and my mom has been amazing for me throughout my PhD so one of my main chapters was this rehabilitation trial in India where my kids were all, be, you know, my three kids were all younger than five. And I was thinking, how am I going to go to India and do these interviews with the, the neurologists and the, the nursing staff, et cetera, and train the team? And my mom said, I can come over from Singapore. Wow. <laughs> so she came over. So every time I go on these overseas kind of work trips, either to India or Bangladesh, she comes over and helps me mind the kids because my husband can't, right? He, you know, he's got those long kind of, leaves house at 6.30 a.m., comes back at 7 p.m. There's no way he can do school drop-off or even if there's after-school care, he can't manage it. Yeah. So I Mother's Day is coming up. 
thank God for my mom and my mother-in-law and you know all the kind of informal supports we have I'm sure you you have oh that too I call in on friends to help drop off pick up you know last minute calls of I can't make it can you help pick up my son you know I think that community is so key so key absolutely I was actually reflecting on that I would not have been able to do because I started medical school when my daughter was nine months old. And then in my final year, I was pregnant with my second. And I would not have been able to get through the degree if it had not been for my extended family, which includes we're lucky in that we have a third set of grandparents because my mother-in-law is a twin who doesn't have grandchildren. (laughs) So it works out and they live around the corner. (laughs) So it works out really, really well. But talking about trips, actually, this is something that I'm struggling with at the moment. I I know this comes out uh, quite often and I don't want to kind of wasn't wanting to raise it, but I think it is an issue like mother guilt. I definitely feel it with work trips, um, as you mentioned, the trips that you had, I have the possibility of going to a conference, which I'm funding for in uh, June. And I just don't know how comfortable I feel about it, even though it's crazy. My partner says, I don't feel guilty. Why do you? (laughs) And he's right. Why do I? I don't know. But I think speaking to other kind of working mums, it's a universal thing and I hate it, but I don't know how to kind of overcome it. Like, do you feel it? Do you, how do you deal with it if you do? Like, what's your approach? Oh, Fiona, that's such a difficult question. Um, I don't know if it's guilt. I think it's more, as mother's well was concerned, right? You're concerned of the, your, your child's well-being full stop. And, mm. and there's that sense that if I'm there, maybe I can make it better, but which which therefore any of these trips, which takes you away for a period of time, will make you feel anxious, etc. How I've dealt with it, I guess, just making sure that they're in good hands. And as you said, you know, you, you've got your extended family to support you. On the trip itself, I used to do these little things where I used to write, let's say, when young, when they were younger, I used to read them bedtime stories or make up bedtime stories. So I'll still make up a bedtime story and WhatsApp it to my husband who's supposed to read it to them. So that's trying to keep that connection. Wow, that's really beautiful. And sometimes, you know, with our technology now, they can do little videos and send it back to me and I'll be like in the hotel looking at it going, oh, and <laughs> And half the time people would travel with me end up seeing all my photos as during the trip because I'll be like, oh, look at what they're doing today. And so I think that helps me (laughs) feel connected and helps. And I I think the flip side too, there's a bit more daddy and child time, children time. And so that's a positive around there as well. But I think the guilt comes when, so taking my daughter, for example, last two years with the, the school, schooling from home and that age. And I think she's had a tough time. So I, I feel guilty about that because I worry that she's not had as much TLC opportunities as she would have if I had more headspace and time with her. So I think that's something that consciously this year I'm trying to free up more time to do that. And I hope I'm saying yeah. it to you so I'm, so you keep me accountable. If I want to chase the next kind of, I don't know, paper, grant, whatever, I mean, what's your priorities, um, that will be great. <laughs> I know. Well, that, that's what we were talking about, wasn't it? Because I felt the pressure to say yes to things too, right? And then I found myself saying yes when I wasn't, just because I was feeding my ego, <laughs> quite frankly. And when I realized that, I was, uh, it made me take stock. And now my partner and I have spoken about this because he is in the same situation, you know, gets asked to do things, says yes, when there's 
zero time to do any of these extra things. And so now we have this rule where we don't say yes to anything until we've spoken to each other so that the other person can say, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Or no, are you crazy? Like, how the hell are we going to fit that in? You can't just go and do this week-long teaching thing and whatever, whatever. So I think, as you say, having that um, other person, whether it's like your partner or a friend or somebody to kind of say, oh, do I really need to do this? It is an opportunity, but do I have to take every single one? Um, does this fit in with my other life priorities, which may not be work priorities? Because I think work can very easily be a, a bigger kind of part of your life than maybe you want it to, as you say. I definitely feel that pressure too to constantly have outputs. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And you know what? I think that that's also linked to being a doctor, right? In medicine, it's always the next thing. You don't really stop training, even when you've finished your fellowship. Like I know friends who are now consultants uh, in emergency who are doing master's in IT, or there's a rehab consultant who's doing a master's in um, visual art, who's amazing. So I think that that's kind of often a driving force too, that next thing. What do you think, Ming? I think sometimes it is ego. Of course, part of it is wanting to serve the communities that we are working with. You know, you want to do better and have the expertise and have that knowledge. But I think sometimes just checking on yourself and how much is it this getting recognition. And if it's just that, then it's a elusive dream, like that we might be pushing ourselves or at the expense of family for that. At the end goal, if we talk about research impact, is that whatever evaluation or whatever research has an impact on the ground and is going to improve health outcomes, et cetera, whether we progress through the lines of, you know, lecturer, senior lecturer, associate professor, professor, that is great. And that that's, that's value for ourselves and, and shows recognition and progression. That's great. But I think part of that is aligned with ego and who you are in the world. And maybe that's a bigger philosophical question as to what matters to you and, you know, my my dad has passed away, you know, when I when I when I was at his funeral, you know, what and people were coming say, like, Well, what how what was his life like? What did he do? What mattered to him? Did he make a difference? You know, those kind of questions. I know it's a bit more sad, but on the other hand, it's it's those kind of bigger questions. I think when we think about I, that's why I say I think that, that sometimes the biggest struggle is probably against my own expectations of myself and where I want to go. I hope that made sense, Viola. No, it does, Ming. And I think um, that's why it's important to check in with yourself and kind of think about, you know, just, okay, I'm doing this now. What is my, you know, goal for the next whatever year or what does my life day-to-day look like to achieve this? And does that bring me happiness? Does that bring me the time with my family that I want to prioritize? Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but, you know, I'll just go along, I'll, I'll do my clinical work, I'll do my research, I'll be really busy. And then, I, you know, I'll go away on a holiday because it's the school holidays or something and you've booked something and you take a week away from your life, which is like, you know, you know, planned down to the microsecond and you, and you think, oh, hang on, wow, this is what it feels like to not be busy for, like, <laughs> for a week. How can I bring that back to my everyday? How can we, you know, do we need to let go of some school activities, which is something I realized at the end of last year? Do we need to, you know, maybe not say yes to the next thing? Do I need to increase my clinical work to feel better about, you know, my clinical progress, but then decrease some uh, research or whatever it may be just to take stock every now and again? Absolutely. I think that's why we have these lovely coffee dates and things. Yeah, that's 
I know. That's so high. I appreciate that. You kind of know. I kind of think, oh, Viola kind of knows my struggles and knows some of what I'm going through, or even guilt or whatever. All of those, and that's why it's so helpful. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely found that too. Um, I think we should uh, make these a more regular thing, observing, <laughs> rather than so random whenever we are. Lovely. Um, I actually do have a meeting in ten minutes, and I'm sure you've got more things to finish up. But um, thank you. Uh, for taking time thank we'll you again yeah th- thank you so yeah, much lovely. absolutely take care then make sure you subscribe to the scan so you don't miss an episode you can find us on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts we can't wait to bring you all the latest news and research in global health